You may be seated. Amen. Well, hey, good morning, Salem. We're glad you guys are, are here. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at, at Salem. Uh, I have the, the privilege uh, to introduce you uh, this morning. Uh, Adam. Adam is from Cooperstown Bible Camp. Uh, and uh, this, this first service, I said, which is just down the road. And then he corrected me later. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a ways. Um, it's a little ways out. It's a little ways. I mean, I've been there, but I'm still, you know, it's, especially in the snow. It's longer. So, um, so we're glad that he's here uh, with us this morning. Uh, Adam has been the, the executive director of Cooperstown Bible Camp for, I think, the last year, year and a half. Just, just over a year. Yeah, yeah but he's yep. been there for several years yep, and kind of working there. And so if you guys don't know, uh, Cooperstown Bible Camp is, is a part of the EFCA, which is our denomination. Uh, and so they are a ministry partner of ours. And so uh, we desperately uh, pray for them and want to see them succeed in, in their mission to, to ultimately bring the gospel to to people. And so we're super thankful uh, that uh, he's here. I'll let him introduce himself a little bit uh, as he starts, but let's, uh, let's just pray uh, as we uh, start our time this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this morning. I thank you for my brother Adam, and uh, I thank you for the ways in which you have gifted him and, uh, and called him uh, to do a unique ministry that only uh, he can do uh, in light of how you've made him. And so thank you uh, for him. Thank you for his passions, his strengths. Uh, and as he opens the Bible this morning, I know he is just deeply passionate about your word and, uh, and deeply passionate about the gospel, and I, I know that we'll hear that. And so I just pray uh, as we just, yeah, as we listen to the, to the scripture unfold, as we listen uh, to your voice that you would just nudge us. And as I think about these past um, many weeks kind of leading up into Christmas, uh, as, we, as we really sought to discover the, the idea of hope and is ultimately found in Jesus, our Savior, and, and so we rejoice uh, in Jesus. And yet for us, 2,000 years later, here we are on the other side of the cross wondering, you know, what's next? What does life look like for us as Christians? And so um, the, the final chapter to be revealed for us is, is ultimately heaven. And so Lord, I pray that uh, as we listen to uh, the words, uh, your words unfold from Scripture, uh, and as we leave today, that we would just be reminded of just the incredible encouragement is to have uh, a place that we call home for all of eternity in heaven. And so I pray that you give us a glimpse of that and what it looks like to live today. I pray over Adam uh, and for, for all of us. Lord, we love you. In our name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Seth. Well, as mentioned, my name is Adam Glombowski. I am the executive director of Cooperstown Bible Camp. If you don't know where that's at, it would be about an hour and a half drive to the east of west of here. But thanks to all the snowdrifts, it took about two hours and 15 minutes for me to get here today. I'm still trying to get used to the weather here in North Dakota. I have, uh, I've lived, grew up, born and raised in Michigan, and so North Dakota is kind of foreign to me. Snow is not, just the amount of snow is, is kind of foreign. Uh, I am married to a wonderful, wonderful woman named Alicia. We celebrate our anniversary today. I forgot to tell you that. Today is our anniversary. Yes. Yes, I've been married to her for 12 years 11, let's see, 12 years, 5 months, 16 days. If you didn't catch that, every day is an anniversary for me and my wife. I'm married to my best friend, guys. I mean, so yeah, we've been married for a while. We've got two kids, 8-year-old uh, Gracie, 3-year-old Caden. And as I said before, a little bit of my background, uh, I was a youth pastor for many years before taking over the role of uh, Camp Program Director at Cooperstown Bible Camp. That was three years ago. We celebrate our, the start of our fourth year uh, this month, and I'm excited to be able to see what God has for 2022 um, and uh, seeing all the new people that come to camp 
seeing those who have never experienced Jesus in a way that nature can do that. Um, again, our mission at Cooperstown Bible Camp is making Jesus known. We do that creatively. We do that through our high ropes course, our canoeing, and multiple areas where we can make Jesus known. And then our Mecca is our summer camp speakers, preachers that come, and they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the saving grace that is given freely to those who accept it. I'm excited to be here today. Uh, I appreciate Pastor Seth allowing me to be a part of this mini-series, and, and uh, as we look in God's Word here in just a little bit, we're going to, the title of our message is Longing for Home, Longing for a Home. We're, we're going to discuss this morning the, uh, the longing for heaven and what that looks like for us as Christians now and kind of getting a glimpse into what heaven is like for us as believers. Now, last week, uh, Brian Wright, the Northern Plains District Superintendent, came. He spoke, and uh, a couple points that he covered was what what life would be like in heaven, uh, what we would what we will be like in heaven, and what that means for us now. And I kind of want to continue with this this thought of longing for home, longing for home with, with an illustration. There's certain sounds and and smells and experiences that bring back me being at home. Again, born and raised in Michigan. Uh, we've been, I've been away from home now for many years. But little things, little things. It could be the a, a smell of a, of a home-cooked meal that my mom would cook for me. It could be the sounds of fans at a hockey game or even the smell, I guess if you want to say that, of a hockey game. And then for those who, who may, maybe have had this pop, but Verner's Pop, the taste of Verner's ginger ale. Has anybody had a Verner's? This is amazing. There was like four in the first service. I'm like, I'm not alone. This is great. But having that first sip of Verner's takes me back home and the thought of growing up in Michigan. And like I said, we've been, been away from home for a long time. And there's certain things that make me long for home. Now let's take this, this illustration and kind of take a biblical look as far as longing for heaven. Now, it's kind of difficult to have the same feeling, such as sounds and experiences, since we've never been to heaven. But the application that I'm praying that you'll take away today is what it means to long for heaven. That while we are living in this present state, having a desire to dwell with God, living in his presence, the excitement that should bring to the believer what I'd like to do is I'd like to take some time today and walk you through a chunk of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, whether that's physical or your phone or a tablet or whatever, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's only 11 verses we're going to cover today. And to be quite honest, there's so much content in this that you could expand it over four weeks if you wanted to. So we're going to kind of get the highlight of this and make an application for every one of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Let's go ahead and read through the whole passage. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, we ha- if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for the very, this very thing is God, who also has given us a spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust we are well known in your consciences. God, thank you again for the opportunity that I have to be able to open up your word and for your blessing upon the word it's spoken this morning. I pray, Lord, that, again, I would be hidden behind your cross. God, I just want to be used by you to be able to preach the gospel, be able to preach in a way that will honor and glorify you, be able to touch the hearts and the minds of those that are here and online, God. Thank you again for your love and everything you've done for us. In your name we pray, amen. Now what I'd like to do is I'd like to walk you through five points in this passage. Sounds like a lot, but I promise I'll let you guys get to lunch by 1, 1.30 or something like that. A little bit more time than the first service because I felt like I had to rush through. So you guys get the extended version. It's like extra innings or overtime in a hockey game, okay? But here we go. First point is this. The believer's expectation of eternal life. The believer's expectation of eternal life. That's found in verse 1. This current dwelling is not our home, and thank God for that. In the first three words of verse 1, for we know, for we know, we, who is we? That is the believer that puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Paul reminds us of the assurance that after death, our residence will be with Christ. You place your faith and trust in Christ. You can know that heaven is waiting for you on the other side. How encouraging is that? Charles Spurgeon says it this way, many people are in great frights about the future. Yet here, Paul is viewing the worst thing that could happen to him with such complacency that he likens it nothing to nothing worse than pulling down of a tent in which he was making a shift to reside for a little season. I love how Paul uses the illustration of a tent in this, in the, in this passage. Because tents can be destroyed. But you know what? A house not built with hands is eternal. A house that is built by God is eternal. And in John 14, 2 through 3, we know that Jesus assures us that he has gone and preparing a place for us. So, as he goes another step further, Paul mentions that this place will not be like our tent-like bodies that can be destroyed, but a house not built with hands, but is eternal. What are your expectations then? What are your expectations when it comes to eternal life in heaven? Is this something that we've ever thought about? Is this something that you know? Do you know your eternity rests in heaven? 
Point number two is this, the believer's desire for our heavenly body. It may seem like I'm going kind of fast, but I want to get to point number two. Because point number two is where I want to, or three, that's where I want to land on for a little bit. But point number two is very important as well. It's this, the believer's desire for our heavenly body. It's found in verses two through four. And in verse two, for in this we groan. We see the limitations of our bodies and the superiority of our bodies to come. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to find out what kind of body I'm getting in heaven. I'm hoping that I get to drop a few pounds and I'm shorter. Six foot, you know, something like that. It's expensive being this big. I'm telling you that much. It is expensive. Kent, yeah, it's expensive. I had a conversation between services uh, about pants, which is really weird at church, but pants. <laughs> and it was, yeah, $78 for a pair of pants. Yeah, well, I work at a camp, so they're expensive. But I'm hoping that I, I, I'm sure all of us have had that some sort of hope for a new body like that. But in all seriousness, the questions that beg and answer are this. Are we earnestly desiring heaven? And the follow-up to that is this. Is it that we've become too comfortable and have dedicated our lives to the pursuit of comfort? We have never even given a second thought to it. We have been too comfortable in our lives right now. We don't think about heaven. I remember thinking, okay, God, let me get married before I die. You know, I started laying out this laundry list to God, like, okay, I want, I'll, let's see if we can do all these things before I die. God, I want to get married before I die. Check. Okay, we're good. I want to have kids before I die. And sometimes, that, you know, as parents, you're like, man, maybe that wasn't a good, you know, kids. I got a three-year-old boy, man. He's a rhino, this kid. But anyways, I love my kids. Check. Got that. And then I'm thinking, okay, I'd like to see what retirement looks like before I die. I don't know if I'm ever going to get there, but I'd like to see what retirement looks like before I die. And the biggest thing, Lord, please let me see the Detroit Lions win a Super Bowl before I die. Rebuilding since 1957. I don't want to be comfortable or too comfortable that I forget about my heavenly home. Now, here's the thing, too. Paul uses this terminology of being clothed in these verses. And the expression about being clothed isn't referring to physical clothing, but Paul is referring to our spirit being clothed in our new, perfect, sinless, resurrected bodies. And that in verse 4, the mor that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Think about this. Our new bodies will not be subject to death, unlike our current and Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 15.45, that death is swallowed up in victory. Life completely conquers death when we receive our new bodies, because in this verse, death will be swallowed up by life. How awesome is that? Point number three. I told you we're going to get here, and this is where we're going to park for a little bit. 
the believer's confidence. The believer's confidence. This is found in verses five through eight. Take a look in verse five. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. God is in the process currently right now. He's currently in the process of preparing us for our eternal destiny. An illustration for you. A man in the middle of many painful trials took a walk in his neighborhood and saw a construction crew at work on a big church. He stood and watched a stone craftsman work a long time on a block, but couldn't see where the block would fit because the church appeared to be finished. He watched the man work on the block carefully, methodically, slowly shaping it into a precise pattern. Finally, he asked, why are you spending so much time chipping and shaping that block? The craftsman pointed up to the top of the nearly completed steeple and said, I'm shaping it down here so it will fit up there. The man in the middle of his trials instantly knew that God's message, instantly knew what God's message was for him. He was being prepared down here so he would fit up in heaven. Now, I mentioned a little bit to Pastor Seth and a few others, it's just been a really rough week, and you see that God has been chiseling it different ways in trials. Some of these songs, Brady, amazing job. It's how God works. And some of the songs, it just kind of resonates and hits you. And that even though through your trials, God is speaking to you, God is working on you, God is chipping or chiseling away. Right now, you may not understand why you are going through what you're going through. Can I encourage you, though? Christ is working on you. He's preparing you. He's shaping and chiseling you daily. And that through this process, God gives us confidence in his promise. Check this out in the next verse. Or continuing in verse 5. He who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. This is interesting because God backs up his promise of heaven with a down payment of the Holy Spirit. The ancient Greek word for guarantee or earnest in some translations is arhaban, meaning partial payment or a pledge that the full amount will be paid. He gives us this guarantee. We have been given it not just, we've, sorry, we've been given not just the assurance of heaven in prior verses, but God takes it a step further and he seals his promise with a pledge to us that heaven is our eternal home. We can have confidence that he will not break his promise. Now in verse 6, we see that we are always confident. A good reminder here in Colossians 3, 2 is to set your mind on things above, not things on earth. We can be confident in our hard times with this promise that God is at work in you and will continue working until you draw your last breath. Continuing in verse six, while we are at home in the body, we are present, or we are, while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. At this moment, the presence of God is a matter of faith, while in our earthly bodies, we are absent from God. So for now, we walk by faith and not by sight. But the day will come, though, when we are no longer absent from the Lord. 
And we won't have to walk by faith. But we will see the presence of God by sight. And this is cool because then Paul flips it in verse 8 to where verse 8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Because Paul is confident, as we read earlier in verse 6, in part based on the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, of his eternal destiny, he's not afraid of the world beyond. In the, in the years that I've been doing ministry, the discussions that I've had of people fearing the future, fearing what's beyond, taking them back to the confidence and the assurance that, that God gives us in eternal security and eternity in heaven. It's what Paul is saying. Therefore, Paul can say he would be well pleased to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. This also answers the question, what happens to believers when they die? The Christian will leave the body. The believer will leave the body, be resurrected with new bodies, and be present with the Lord. The phrase, to be present with the Lord, catch this. This is important. To be present with the Lord is what makes heaven really heaven. Now, to many, heaven is precious to us. Heaven is precious to us. We, we want to be with our loved ones who've passed away and those that we miss so very much. My, my grandpa passed away. My aunt passed away. I miss them. I don't like saying that we've lost them because I didn't lose them. I know exactly where they're at because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But I miss them. I can't wait to see them again. We want to be with the great men and women of God. If I were to ask you the question, who would you like to meet first when you get to heaven? I've heard some really crazy answers, but I would like to meet John. That's my, that's my take. I'd love to meet John. We want to meet the great men and women of God. We want to walk on the streets of gold. See the pearly gates and see the angels around the throne worshiping God. However, none of these things, as amazing as they are, as amazing as they are, they don't really make heaven really heaven. What makes heaven really heaven is the unhindered, unrestricted presence of our Lord and to exist with him for eternity. Theologian Scott Hoffman says it this way, to make the central focus of heaven anything or anyone besides God himself is ludicrous. And to add something to God as heaven's pleasure is idolatrous. But to know we are in the presence of God to know that we can live and exist with him for eternity. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, I've got a lot. I feel like I've got a lot of life to live. I haven't seen the Grand Canyon yet. Uh, I haven't had uh, Ludafisk. I'm not sure I'm supposed to. But uh, there's stuff I want to do before that. But you know what? That's all secondary. I cannot wait to be with Jesus. So have confidence that while here, we are not at home, but when we're not here, we will be with God. Number four, 
The believers aim for life. The believers aim for life. This is found in verses 9 and 10. Our goal, right here, Paul kind of shifts the, the passage a little bit, and we can kind of grasp some application in these next few verses, but the believer's aim, our goal is to be pleasing to God. Verse 9, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. In the Greek, it carries the thought that we are striving earnestly to be well-pleasing to him. McLaren, another theologian, says it this way. You report to headquarters. Never mind what anybody else thinks of you. Your business is to please Christ. And the less you trouble yourself about pleasing men, the more you will succeed in doing that. Now, when you come work at Cooperstown Bible Camp, you come work for me, I tell my, my summer staffers and my counselors, you've got nothing to prove and only one person to please. And that's not me. Anytime you do ministry, anytime you do life, anytime you do anything for the Lord, you've got nothing to prove and only one person to please. Well, that is God. So the question for us that we really need to consider is this. Is what I am doing right now pleasing to him? Are my attitudes, my actions, and my responses pleasing to God? Are they pleasing to my heavenly father? Why is this so necessary though? Because as we move on in the next verse, in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Understand this. This is not the great white throne judgment from Revelation chapter 20. This describes the judgment of the works of the believer. We all must give an account according to what we have done, good or bad. So then the question is, what are we going to be judged? What's going to be judged on? First is this, what we have done. And then the second thing is our motives for why we have done them. You could, you could serve Jesus by doing something and have a bad attitude about it. That's not serving Jesus. Recognize this for me, though, will you? Please recognize. It is possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. It is possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. I call that a couch Christian. You accept Christ as your get out of hell free card and you do nothing. You don't encourage the body of believers in your local church. You don't proclaim the gospel to the people in your communities, at your workplace, at your school. You just got saved. This judgment, though, should be an encouragement as a believer in our services to the Lord. Here's what I mean by that. It should remind us of the principle in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, For God is not unjust to forget your work, and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and to minister. Another author, Harris, says this, appearance before Christ's tribunal is the privilege of Christians. 
It is concerned with the assessment of the works and indirectly of character, not with the determination of destiny, with reward, not status. Sadly, some will get to heaven thinking they have done great things for God and will find out at the judgment seat of Christ they really did nothing. That's sad. The question that you need to marinate on is this. Are you aiming, are you striving earnestly to please God and serve him faithfully? I did this thing called uh, crazy prayers, dangerous prayers. I'm not sure if you've ever done anything like this where you're like, okay, God, use me. That's open-ended. You pray, God, to use you, you could end up in Africa. I ended up in North Dakota. But when I say, God, use me. I'm the executive director of Cooperstown Bible Camp, but that doesn't mean I don't get to scrub toilets. I cook, cut the grass, scrub more toilets. But I tell you what, in my attitude, in my response, if that is supposed to be well-pleasing to God, I'm not going to scrub the toilet thinking this is not the job I wanted. I'm going to scrub the toilet thinking the next guest that comes, the next camper that comes that does not know Jesus, and as odd and weird as it sounds, when they come in and they see the shiny porcelain and it makes them feel good, it takes their thinking away from other things so they can focus in on Jesus Christ. It's small things like that. So are you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, aiming to please God in what you're doing? I sure hope the answer is yes. Sure hope. The last thing is this. Don't worry, we're not going to go into overtime. I looked at the clock. We are good. Number five. The believer's message Paul rounds this section of Scripture up with this verse in verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Well, that's kind of striking when you read that. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. What is this? What do we know about this? We know that without Christ, we are righteous targets of the terror of the Lord. We also know that in Jesus, we have been delivered from the terror of the Lord. The Bible says that we were once enemies of God in Romans 5.10 and in Colossians 1.21. And that before accepting Christ, we deserved the full terror of God. What does it mean? Simply put, it is the fear of the Lord, a respect and reverence which is due to God on account of his high authority. And respecting his position as God and our position as man. He is God, I am not. That isn't to say this, though. Be very careful. I want to be cautious in how I say this. We are not, we should not be going around scaring people into heaven. That is very dangerous and falsely providing salvation through fear. It's very dangerous. If we go around just expressing fire and brimstone in hell and not the saving grace and the gospel presentation of Jesus Christ, we're, we're a part of their demise. 
But we persuade men, and this is interesting how Paul puts it, we persuade men knowing what life is like with and without Jesus. The message then needs to be this. I have been delivered and you can be too. This should be on the heart of every believer who presents the gospel. Whether that's in the pulpit, out on the streets, in your classroom, in your workplace. We need to be like Paul who passionately desires to see many to come to know Christ as Savior. I've mentioned this before, but I said I'll do anything short of sin to see someone come to know Christ. Whatever it says, it means scrubbing a toilet so, so someone can come to know Christ, I'll do it. If it means sometimes that I have to stay up a little bit late and prep a sermon because somebody has not, not, they've never experienced what the gospel is, I'm going to do that. If it means having late night one-on-ones with campers until two in the morning, I'll do it. Paul ends this passage like this, with a statement of being well-known to God and trust the people of Corinth that his message of Christ and his ministry were well-known in their conscience. So then my question to you as I finish this up and we get to application is this. Does the Fargo-Moorhead area know of Salem Church's passion to reach lost people? Kind of let that sink in a little bit. Because I know that, that, that Seth is, Pastor Seth and his, his amazing leadership team is praying and looking towards what God would want for this church. I guarantee you their prayer is that they don't want to be well-known as great people, but they want to be well-known for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does this area know that Salem is on a mission to reach lost people. Two things and then I'll close. First one is this, faithfully serve God while living on earth. Sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes it can be easy. I can use the toilet illustration all the time, but you know what? That's still serving Jesus. Faithfully serve him, even in the trials, even in the pain. Faithfully serve him because he has been faithful to you. And the second thing is this, Hope in heaven is in Christ and in Christ alone. There is no other path. It is through the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary in which you can be saved. And that's what I'm asking you this morning. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, knowing that the sin in your life is what separates you from God and that the cross is what brings you back to him? Maybe you've never realized that. And this is your first time ever hearing that, that Jesus died, rose again, or buried and rose again for you. So you not only can you have eternal life in heaven, but you can have a life filled with Christ now, a Holy Spirit-led life. Two types of people that I feel like are in that room. That's type number one, that you've never accepted Christ. The second one is this. Maybe you have accepted Christ, and you're a firm believer, but you're a couch Christian, and you're really not doing anything. Well, it's either because you're scared. Trust me, I've been there too. I've been scared before. I remember the first time I preached. That was horrible. But even preaching, just talking to people about Jesus. 
Trust me, if God can use many people in Scripture, he can use you. Just be willing. Start building your relationship with Jesus Christ. Start building your relationship with other people in this church and in this community. Get involved. Get plugged in. Grow your relationship with him. That is my challenge for you today. And again, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's going to be people over here. You can go talk to Pastor Seth, myself. We would love to express to you how you can be saved. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for everything you've done this day. I, th I thank you for this church. Thank you for the willingness that they have and the trust that Pastor Seth had for allowing me to come and, and preach today. And as your message was preached, Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just fall on deaf ears and deaf hearts, but that we would take to heart what your word says that we need to do as Christians as we prepare for heaven. As you prepare for heaven here on earth and as you are preparing heaven for us, God, with this hope that we see that our hope is in Jesus Christ and our hope in eternity. I pray, Lord, that you wouldn't allow anything or, or the, those who are listening today, that they wouldn't allow anything like lunch or, or plans or anything like that to keep them from dealing with what needs to be dealt with today. God, I pray, Lord, for that one soul that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that you would bring them to you. And thank you for your love. Thank you for your word and everything you've done. And here we pray. Amen.